Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guests today are Merv and Merla Watson. So for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about what you've done, where are you these days? Well, um, we're known as uh, musicians, and we've traveled to 35 countries to sing in different countries. Um, we've um, traveled a great deal, sang in about nine languages, not very well, but enough, and um, have uh, quite a checkered career as to what we've done in the past 58 years of marriage. Um, I mean, uh, there's only a few of us left, Model T, Ford, and us. And um, so we've been very busy in the work of the Lord, as, uh, challenging people to stand up and believe in the ultimate book that has 66 books written by one author over a period of 18, 1,500 years, and they all agree and find out all about it. And we believe that we had uh, moved from a very small group of kids that started at one point in, when I was a band director in a large uh, Birchmont Collegiate in Toronto, Scarborough. And uh, it grew from six to 2,500 kids a week for four years, every week. And so it was marked by a thing called the Catacombs Club because the catacombs were where the church went during Roman days. Mm -hmm. And since we're back at the fall of the Roman Empire again, we thought that's a good title. Sounds so, good. It, uh, yeah, we're we're in we're in effect simile, like a mirror image of the Roman Empire. It's collapsed, and we're in the middle of one now, mm -hmm. uh, based on their Greco-Roman base, not the Judeo-Christian base, which is a solid law base. So, yeah. th from our perspective, we know comparatively little from all your years there's two main focuses that stand out to us one is music one is israel and the two merge really so can you give us a bit of background how how did these two passions of yours merge how did you get to that moment where you knew this was the direction you needed to go in well with me it happened uh when i was a little girl and I was watching my father read a newspaper and I saw corpses on this newspaper. And I said, Daddy, what is that? And he said, well, this is the Jewish people and the world will pay for it. I didn't know a Jew from a Hungarian. I didn't know, you know, all I know is that at that moment I felt a literal something like a seed plant in my heart. And I just knew that there would be something happening in my life concerning the Jewish people. My first girlfriend uh, was a Jewish uh, gal. Uh, nearly all my music teachers at the Royal Conservatory in Toronto were Jewish. Um, and, 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 and also for a while, my musical training as a concert artist, I was I was trained um, 
sponsored. sponsored, I should say, by the Canadian Council of Jewish Women, and uh, who gave me enough money to keep studying. And uh, those were during the, the war years, actually, you know, in the 40s. And uh, I can remember that vividly. And then it was worked out when I started to write music. Um, it became quite Jewish in sound. And um, to the point that one time, um, a prominent, I won't tell you which one, but a prominent Christian recording company who wanted us to record for them, were very disappointed and uh, confused because they said, your music is very Jewish and you're not Jewish and it's very minor. And of course we know minor is sad and we're supposed to uh, cause Christians to be joyful. You know, they had no idea that the minor key is used for many different um, um, peoples across the world that um, they use this for happiness, you know. And so I'll just add a a PS to that is that once we were in full-time ministry, we saw the validity of uh, music, of song, especially for the Jewish people. You could stand up and be a speaker and choose a topic. And this would go for anybody in the world, not the Jewish people, but not only the Jewish people. But you could stand up and um, talk to a group of people on a certain topic, say for an hour. But if a singer got up and sang about that same theme in three minutes, you have their hearts. And many times mm-hmm. we'd see, you know, the tears just rolling down. I mean, we've had them, one rabbi's wife just ran out of the room while we were singing Psalm 23, our version of it. And she was, she, she, I don't know what's happening to me. And, you know, she was all red in the face and, you know, spattering tears all over. So it has a validity that like nothing else has. We were so honored that the Lord uh, bestowed that upon us. And uh, we're very thankful. Well, by the, by the way, Merla has written 565 songs. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, How some... can you remember that? Not a shopping list. I'm <laughs> I'm more interested in the songs than the shopping list. <laughs> and uh, so uh, you heard of Jehovah Jireh, Wake of Israel, Lynn Silver Virgin Rejoice in the Dance, uh, all sorts of songs. Yeah. And and uh, while she was playing fiddle, uh, backed up by her very talented brother on the piano, she won 150 awards. So she was very busy and she uh, uh Loved the, she had perfect pitch, so she wrote all her music practically on planes and things, never going near a piano. And uh, anyway, she's very gifted. I was playing baseball most of the time, um, but I studied voice, studied piano, and got a degree in music at the University of Toronto. In the period of time up to the 70s, um, we we uh, traveled, um, for example, we went to England with uh, 65 musicians, singers, and dancers for three months had concerts in uh, Trafalgar Square, uh, York Minster Cathedral, all sorts of places. And uh, then over in Switzerland and then in Holland. And uh, among the people on that trip was uh, Benny Hinn of, of healing fame. Uh, he was one of our students. He was also babysitter to her kids. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He, yeah. He went through 14 jobs in one year. He wasn't exactly consistent. 
anyway, <laughs> yeah, we uh, we started to travel to Europe in 1967, and uh, it became a habit. We went to Holland about 35 times, Holland, and various other countries. And then in 1976, it came to the time to leave the youth work and go over to Israel, which we did with our family. Um, our oldest son is an opera singer of world class. My daughter is a jazz singer, world class, and my other son is a. Um, we became a fabulous cellist. A, a cellist, a commoner, various things, and uh, he's now a high tech specialist, which is where you make your living. Yeah, tell him what he said though. When I said to Ariel, "What, what, what do you actually do?" He's in artificial intelligence. Can you tell me? He says, "Well, all I can say is whatever I learn today is obsolete tomorrow." So wow. that, gave me, that gave me a clue. Oh, cutting edge stuff. So oh. in 76, we were very clear <laughs> that we were leaving Canada and going to Israel, uh, not knowing, like Abraham, whither we're going, you know. And um, so it became very clear that we did the right thing. And uh, things developed from that. In 76, we arrived there. We did our first broadcast to five continents through the Christian Broadcasting Network out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia with Pat Robertson. Uh, first time a, a microwave uh, broadcast was came out of Jerusalem to five continents. And so that was pretty exciting, got underway there. Did all sorts of concerts at kibbutzim, uh, hotels, conferences, and um, saw clearly that the family was a great unit as a vehicle of the truth of the, of the Jewish book called the Bible. Mm. And uh, so we discovered that uh, they didn't know as much about the Bible as what we thought. So the more we sang, and we sang in Hebrew uh, and various other languages, we were amazed to find how uh, curious they were about the Bible. I thought to myself, well, it's your book. Why don't you read it? And occasionally they do. It's quite interesting. And so we've, we've started that move uh, towards the Hebraic roots way back in the 70s. And um, it's increased in volume, and it's almost like a tsunami wave now, that if we don't want any cheap answers in the time of crisis, we want to get to the foundation points. And so that's what the Bible is all about. There are 66 books of foundations. And if we ever needed foundations with everything shifting, it's now. Mm -hmm. As we spent now 40 years in Jerusalem and various other countries, we have seen the validity and the strength of the hope that is in the 66 books and the clarity and the increasing foundation points of the archaeology and all sorts of teaching and Red Sea Scrolls and all sorts of business that affirms the historicity and the Exodus, which is a keynote event. If there was no exodus, there's nothing that Christianity or Jewish people have to say. But in fact, there was one. And here we are. Mm -hmm. So we, we uh, lived there now a number of years, brought our kids up there. And um, here we are. Mm -hmm. Wow. So last year, I don't know whether it was the first year in, in your memory, but Feast of Tabernacles people did not come from the nations to the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, as we understand it, you were foundational in bringing the call for the nations to come 
for the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Yes. Can you tell us how that came about, why you yeah. did it, and your well, story behind that? Um, many years ago, um, we were staying for a brief while midst our traveling around in a, a, a farm area outside of Toronto. And after we sang one night, this woman rushed up to me and she crumbled a piece of paper and put it in my hand. And she said, the Lord told me to give this to you. And I opened it up and it was a whole little pamphlet dealing with the explanation of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I think, you know, as a young girl growing up, I might have seen that phrase biblically, but it didn't mean anything to me. You know, I just go kind of buy things that don't really attach themselves to you. And all of a sudden, things started to go around in my brain. Well, Feast of Tabernacles, what was that? The nations coming up to Israel. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? So the more we thought of it, well, this is wonderful. And then Jan Willem van der Hoeven, um, uh, from Israel came to speak to our catacombs club and he chose the Feast of Tabernacles as his theme and that just kind of ignited mm -hmm. it you know and um, it really inspired me because um, although the Lord has given me wonderful gifts in uh, of music uh, I can do anything in the with music and the and, and the art world, you know, anything that's artistic uh, and organization. Mm. Anything else I cannot do. I can't find my way out of a wet paper bag, you know. <laughs> I, I don't I know where I am. I mean, point. I'll go into the ladies' room in, in the uh, terminal, the air terminal, go in one way and I'll be hammering at the wrong door to get out. You know? <laughs> I have no idea I can get mixed up. It even happened last night in a restaurant. I didn't know where I was, you know, just, oh, well, you know, what do you do at that point? Sing a song, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of the way it was. But during that time in catacombs led up to this. Okay. Because during that time in catacombs, that's where the banners were birthed, you know, the use of the banners. Um, that's oh, where, um, um, choreographed spiritual dance started to occur. In fact, we were just out with the leader of that last week, or last night, last week, last night at, at a restaurant. And um, she and her husband uh, were here uh, visiting us. And um, she was a very fine dancer with the Stuttgart Ballet. And she started to come to our catacombs club and I remember one time saying to her, well, Anne, why don't you start to dance before the Lord? And she was kind of like, well, I don't know. You know, she was a new Christian in the whole bit. And I said, well, you know, it says very clearly in scripture, you, you, you dance to the Lord. So she took her first step of faith. And I think that night we were singing the hymn, um, praise to the Lord, the almighty, the king. She took a flying leap. From the from the altar area down the down the aisle, praise to the Lord, and off she went. <laughs> Whoa! And Don Stevens was there from Youth with a Mission, and he said, "In that moment, I swear I was raptured." It was just fabulous. So there, that's that's my phone. I think I know on my phone when it rings. Um, yeah, um, and she was just fabulous and so she trained other 
young ladies and guys, and they weren't gay. We, you know, we made sure of that um, to dance before the Lord in an, in an organized way, not just run up the aisle and don't hit anybody, not just like a spontaneous mm -hmm. thing, although that is also allowed, but um, also this organized. And then Benny Hinn was part of the kind of the Israeli folk dance, circle dancing thing. So we had that too. Then we had a, a chap Hello? who was absolutely honey, go somewhere. The um Hello? can't go somewhere. <laughs> that lovely. We just he's just answering something here. Where was I, for heaven's sakes? Uh, uh, Benny Hinn, apart oh, yeah, from the, oh, uh... yeah. yeah, and um we uh asked him, you know, to, to be part of this and he used to recite the Psalms and a dancer a male dancer from um, New York somewhere. Uh, he's now gone to be with the Lord, but uh, he danced to just Benny talking, just Benny saying the scriptures and was so anointed, you know? So we just, uh, and, and it's really funny that the, the Lord used us in this because my background is Swiss Mennonite. Hmm. And that means, that means no color. That means, I mean, there are a lot of wonderful things I appreciate about that background, but there are just so many things that were so colorless and yuck, you know, and dancing was verboten. You don't do that. You know, so this is really funny, you know, that the Lord should use us with this, and now it's all over the world. Now, that doesn't mean to say that all the dancing that we see is even righteous. Some of them don't wear the right things. They're not. Uh, they're not modest with their clothing. Uh, both the guys and the gals. We always insisted on that. And then, so this was applied then with the Feast of Tabernacles. When that first came, I loved it because I love organizing songs and movements and everything over a theme. And so, whatever theme it was for that night, there was a different costume for that you know, in connection with the colors, the design, whatever. And the music was chosen to go directly into what the speaker was speaking about. So it would enhance what he's doing. Mm, so true. often we think, you know, it, 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 the thing has to be of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be spontaneous and buckshot. No, <laughs> it, it, it can be very super organized, even as the Lord himself was that way. So I just, I, I just loved combining the knowledge of the arts with organization. And so we had beautiful processions coming up the aisle with the symbols of the feast and presenting them at the altar. You know, it was just glorious. That is not done anymore, by the way. But um, anyway, that's a whole other story. But that's how it started. And it was fabulous. Okay, my husband was talking to the queen or something. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So how did it go from there to Jerusalem and to the nations? Well, we were already uh, going to the nations before we went to Jerusalem. But uh, we were invited to do the International Charismatic Conference with Corrie ten Boom, with Arthur Cass, with, uh, um, what's her name? Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman and so on, way back in the uh, 70s. And so when we went there, we sang for this wounded soldier that had experienced a, a wound during the 73 Yom Kippur War. And we saw clearly that the song and the word was basic to his health and to his enjoyment. And, he, and here we sang for this one guide on a Jericho. 
and that sealed the hate. So we need the people and Israel who lost 3,000 young people in 10 days. The country was flat. The vitality that we experienced usually in Jerusalem was flat. So we saw this, the, the use of song to encourage and build up a hope in that country that was you know, broken down in terms of uh, optimism. So we went to Israel in 76 with that in mind, with our family. And that started it. And then the, the fact that the Feast of Tabernacles, our first one was in 1979, and we had 400 people that came. The following year, we had 1,500 people that came. And it's been 5,000 average ever since. So we saw that there's public relations was the very thing that Israel needs in a time of anti-Semitism. So every year, thousands of countries attend Israel and attend the Feast of Tabernacles. And then in 1980, when all the embassies left Jerusalem, all 13 of them, because of oil pressure, because of other pressures, we said this is the time to open up one from the kingdom of God who believes in the future of Israel. And if we're grafted into Israel, that's our future too, so let's get on with it. Mm -hmm. So in 1980, we opened the Christian embassy, the first one in the world. It was our idea, uh, but it was implanted right from heaven as far as we can see. And so it's still going 40 years later with years and years of financing for Israel's economy and wonderful works of um, of uh, blessing on the on the people there. Many, many different works. It's terrific how it's developed. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. You know, as you look back over all this, what, what, what do you think? I mean, do you stand in awe? Do you stand in saying, well, of course it was a God thing. He was going to do it. What? What, what do you think, looking back? Well, quote Ben-Gurion, he says, anybody that doesn't associate the miraculous with Israel is not, a, is not realistic. Yeah. And so that's exactly, we've seen miracles after miracles. You have to be deaf, dumb, blinded, and different to miss them. Yeah. You know, so often the people of Israel themselves have kind of missed them. But then, then they look back and think, wow, here we are, 72 years after uh, independence, and we're, and God's made us the head of the dog, not the wag of the tail. And we're, and uh, all the records that have been set, all the allegations, all of the innovations, all these things are in a way are miraculous in, in, in character and miraculous in depth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, this, and while, we're talk, while we're talking on the miraculous, I seem to hear remember a story about your hand, Mer. That's right. <laughs> I was just going to mention that now. Um, yes, um, that was uh, a fabulous miracle. What happened was um, we were living in Israel at the time, and I was clearing out um, a room that I had been using as an office and a music place. Uh, in order to make ready for some people that were going to visit us and stay with us for some time, which meant that the piano was in that room. It, not, it wasn't a grand piano, but it was a very heavy upright one. Hmm. And um, I wanted to get it out of the room. So Merv wasn't there. So um, I uh, thought, well, I'll just do it myself, okay? Hmm. So 
<laughs> I moved the piano to the doorway and it got stuck in the doorway itself. So I called to a um, guy who was our administrator there. He was up on the third floor and I said, Sid, can you come down and help me? And he said, yeah, I'll be there in just a minute. Well, um, he took a little longer and I thought, well, I'll do it myself. Okay. And uh, I, whatever I did, and I don't know what it was, but the whole piano fell on me. Well, let me, let me tell you what happened me. because Sid put uh, round logs under the piano so it could move yeah, uh, out well, of the room. Mm -hmm. And so those round logs gave away as Merle looked around and saw the piano was falling. And oh. being a musician, save the piano at all costs. Yeah, really. So 800 pound piano landed mm -hmm. on her hand. Um, I, I don't know if you can see it. looked like it. that. Wow. Yeah. Can you see that? That is a mess of a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unplayable. Terrible. Forever, said the doctor. It's unplayable. Yeah. Three months later, yeah, yeah, short yeah, one yeah, day. Before that, before that, before that. She played. Yeah. Okay. Before that, they took me to the first hospital. They didn't have emergency that day. So we had to go to another hospital. And when I got there, they wouldn't attend to me. And my hand was turning color. Black. Black. And Merv finally forced the doctor. He said, look, you've got to look at my wife's hand. There had been an army truck accident and the emergency room was full. Okay. Well, that's the story of our lives. What every, the blockages to everything we do are immense. So anyway, um, and so I, that kind of proves to you that we're probably on the right track. But <laughs> anyway, um, so he finally let us in. I got on, a, a soldier had to get off um, the operating, operating table to let me on. And um, the doctor looked at me and he looked at this. He said, how did that happen? And I said, a piano fell on me. And he turned to Merv and he said, she will never play musical instrument again. He also she said, this is not a time to be funny. And he says, this is not a time to be funny. He thought I was being funny at piano bell on, you know, not the time. So, um, but he found the main tendon in the first uh, few minutes, which was a good thing, you know. But anyway, to make a long story short, I went through almost three months of unbearable pain. Um, and having to put my hand up on a sling while I slept, you know, and so you couldn't really sleep properly. And it was really a, a mess. But the Lord gave me a lot of songs during that time, which is really something. <laughs> anyway, um, so one time I even felt the Lord's hand just kind of ca caressing my hand saying, you know, it's, it's going to be okay, you know. And um, one day... Um, we had to move again. We've, we've moved 31 times. So this is the, the one time we had to move. And um, I couldn't lift anything, of course. So Merv said, why don't you just, just rest in the new house? Go upstairs to the bed. We'll, we'll look after everything. So I did. And I dreamed. And I very seldom dream. I got enough nightmares happening during the day. You know? <laughs> so anyway. anyway <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep. That's not me. I'm not no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, and I dreamt that um, I my hand was healed and that I was playing at church and that everybody 
in the building was just going crazy with joy, dancing and leaping and everything. And all of Israel knew because it was in the papers. Somebody did a, a, you know, a talk on it. Okay. So um, I had the dream and then I woke up and it wasn't true. So I was crying. And my youngest son saw me crying. He said, mommy, what's the matter? And I said, well, honey, I just had this dream and, and uh, you know, and it's not true. And I, and I dreamt I was healed. And he said, well, he says, that's just Jesus telling you, mommy, that you're going to be healed. You know, <laughs> you ought to listen to your kids. So I went downstairs and I saw my violin case, my violin viola case open. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is your day. So I sat down on a chair and I said to Ariel, and I had tried so many times to play my violin, you know, to hold it. But because I had no grip, it just slid to the carpet, you know. So I said, well, I'll try one more time. And he brought me my violin and he propped my arm up and he put my fingers over the, the fingerboard. And I just said, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, I command these fingers to play now to God's glory. And I played immediately. Wow. I played immediately. And it wasn't so great, Mur but play. Baby steps. So Merv came in the, with the groceries and nearly dropped them on the floor. And I said, okay, we should go to the church tonight. Was that, was that because you were playing he dropped, or was it because of how yeah. badly you were playing? <laughs> yeah, That's, yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Something. Anyway, so we went to church. It was Sunday. And just like the dream, I went up the aisle at the end of the service with my violin and started to play. And my goodness, everybody was laughing and crying at the same time and dancing and shouting and leaping and whatever. And you know that the pain that was so horrific left immediately, never to this day to return. And I'm, I'm still playing. And I, you know, my fingers move and everything's just fine. I mean, and so this was used in Israel because so many Israelis, I, I played a lot of chamber music there with the Israeli musicians who were just fabulous. And they'd say, tell us once again, that miracle. Tell us again, you know? So God really used it, you know? So I, yes, that's, praise the Lord. That's such a wild story. I mean, for people yes. that have something like that a talent uh, a clearly god-given talent it, it becomes who they are it's a part of their identity and then sometimes when people go through that and then it's stripped away taken away from them it can cause a real crisis as they walk through That's that right. how, how was that for you something which was integral to who who people knew you as your your talent to you'd be grown up to be that you'd grown up to be and then yeah. suddenly you were told it's never going to happen again. And, and the whole process. So how did you walk through that time? What was that? Well, like by the fact that I used to say before that event, if my violin ability was taken away, I could always sing. And if I couldn't sing, I could play my piano. There'd be something I would find, you know, so I never take anything as the absolute end of that horrible thing. You know what I mean? Like it's things can happen. Yeah. What, what are you going to do? This is, she started at two years, eight months to play piano, piano. and that's her at four. 
at her big first concert. <laughs> and her mother was playing down and she made a mistake. So Merle went over to the edge of the stage and waggled her bow at her and said, you messed up on that one note. You know, <laughs> this was in front of a whole audience. Concert. So oh. she had a lot of pluck. My mother was one. collapsed with laughter underneath the piano. I mean, she was just, I really bawled her out. Oh, it was terrible. We were playing the Noel. And you know, the first Noel, the chorus is almost like the verse. Well, she got mixed up and she played one of them twice, you see. And so I I, I had to tutor her from the <laughs> from the stage. Anyway, that was funny. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's amazing how God has led us. Tell me about the time we were in North Dakota. Or was it South Dakota? I don't know. South Dakota, Dakota yeah. yeah. Well, that was a long, long van. You were in South Dakota and I was in North Dakota. The van, no. Um, we were in the uh, first year retiring from um, teaching in Scarborough, 1970. We did 85,000 miles of travel. That's 42 states and six provinces with our two kids. Should say, yeah, two kids and a babysitter. And and um, at one point, we are traveling through South Dakota in a snowstorm at 1:30 in the morning. I am running out of gas in this Volkswagen camper. Nobody to be seen anywhere. And, uh, there was one dog that barked in the middle of the snowstorm, and that, <laughs> I think it died immediately. It was fro frozen to death. A woman in um, Manitoba, Manitoba knew we were coming, but didn't know where we were. We thought we were in trouble. So at 1.30 in the morning, she got up and prayed for us. Well, now it's quarter to two. I'm driving through this little town. Look at my map. It's 40 miles to the next town. I'd never make it with the gas I have had. So I just happened to look down this country road and saw one light about a mile down the road. I felt this is where I better be. So I drove down the road um, and the snow was about a foot deep at that point. And I pulled up to this little lump of a building, got out, saw a guy inside doing his books or something. So I knocked on the door at quarter to 2 a.m. Now, would you open up? Not me, but he did. And he says, well, can I help you? I said, yeah, you can help me. Where's a garage? He said, this is a garage. Wow. She uh, said, those two lumps over there, that's, your, that's the uh, pumps. Just knock the snow off and take help yourself. So I even saw it was my credit card, uh, same garage. So in other words, many things happened in this 85,000 miles of travel. It could be classified as a miracle or, or amazing coincidence of events. But with God, coincidences don't happen. It just, everything's planned at that moment. You just better be there and responsive. We responded. We got our gas. We arrived where we were supposed to be in Manitoba. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, it's good to remember these things, isn't it? It's good yes. to have our yeah, memorials. And, and to know that uh, yeah. yeah yeah i'm i'm the historian she can't remember she had breakfast yesterday but she's never <laughs> who cares she plays violin like that you know but i i'm a, i'm a historian and i just keep track of all these little things that are a combination of impossibles and so well there we go yeah well I just suddenly thought, um, for people listening to this, they say, you know, I'd like to hear some of your music and the things that you've done. Do you have somewhere people can go and see some of this stuff? Yes, our website. 
um, uh. and Merla and an M-E-R-V. There's no E after the B. M-E-R-V and Merla.com. Okay. You'll see it there. Yeah. And uh, But again, we are not good at publicity at all. We desperately need somebody at this point to, to help us with that, to get our... But people aren't listening to CDs so much anymore, you know. And um, well, it, we just had we just had a, uh, a an honorable thing done, a uh, an honor of sixty years of ministry. Uh, our Dutch company that we work with for years and years and years has put together twelve CDs in a little box hmm. uh, called uh, Mervyn Merle Watson Journey in Music. So that's just uh, has just come up. And um, we do have a newsletter. We could uh, send people the address. They want to get a box of this. It's uh, all our significant CDs that we did for this six-year period. I was okay. going to say regarding the music the for those, um, I never I never took my cue from what was popular even in the Christian world. Um, I just relied on what God gave me. And if the people didn't like it, well, that's what God gave me, you know, because... I, <coughs> excuse me, we both have a real issue with the modern contemporary worship. Um, it's really, it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to match when we get up and sing holy, 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 and we have no concept of the holiness of God. That's uh, true. The way some of the worship leaders dress, for instance, uh, it it's deplorable it's shoddy it's and when you listen to music that people say they compose compose it's in their heads they don't they don't even even know how to write it down there's no theory there's no and when you listen to a lot of the worship now um it causes us to just leave the room because it's bad theology it's bad poetry and it's bad music you know, we're not exalting ourselves and saying that we got the whole answer. We don't. We're searching. We're aware of the problem there. A mighty God who is so organized and he, his design is so perfect. I, I can't imagine the, the kind of music that that people would think would be worthy. And the King is coming. He's mm. not just, you know person being dragged off the streets. The king Let me throw, is throw this in if it kiss them. Uh, it's our website would be www.merv and merla what's dot com. I just told them no 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 but you, <laughs> so many people toss it off and they can't they miss it. So yeah. that's it's www.merv and merla what is it there? Dot com dot com okay dot com yeah i'll I'll actually oh i'll find these links and i'll put them in the description so for people listening they can just go to the description box and and the links will be there for them thank Um, you i remember this was a few years ago um there was another worship leader wrote an article and i think the title was that um uh a donkey could write um some of the contemporary worship songs it was something like that Um, yeah but I imagine when you hear words like, oh, this is the song I composed, of course, you are on a whole oh. other level compared to <laughs> some but of the modern... But it's not even honest. It's not even yeah. honest. Just because you strum a guitar does not make you a musician. 
a musician takes years and years and years of consecrated, dedicated um, practice. I mean, I would practice when other kids would be out playing. I'd practice seven or eight hours a day before I could call myself a musician. Okay, but if a church doesn't have that, okay, then they have to use whoever is out there. But whoever is out there should be conscious to better what they know and and seek to find something that is beautiful. Yeah, I know um, a church that, that I went to, um, they the pastor would check every song that the worship leader wanted to use. I and don't he would blame go him. through the song and read the lyrics to check yes. that he thought that it was biblical. Um, yes. Because of that, people would complain because they didn't have oh, well. some of the latest songs. They didn't get them oh. in as quickly. But mm. that's just, I mean, it's just the way it is. The pastor wouldn't allow any worship song to be sang unless he agreed that it was theologically correct. Yes. Or, they, or they'll just sing songs about themselves, like, I, I need this. I, I dear this. Lord, dear Lord, Lord, I'm, you know, so kind of, we're, we should be praising God. You look after us. Wesley, Charles <laughs> Wesley wrote 6,000 hymns. Fabulous. And the, the depth of his statements what? is so resoundingly beautiful. And the liter literary depth is so terrific that we're singing these every week now on Facebook. We have violin, we have voices, we have whole... And uh, the response we're getting is terrific because people say, this is more like it. If God has glory and majesty, you better package it, package it properly or it does not reach heaven. I think it hits the yeah. front of the stage or something. So anyway, we're, not, we're just saying that um, there is a degree of commonality, like lowest common denominator seems to please, please our society. To the point that, uh, I don't know what the point is. The point is there has to be some kind of gradation of depth. We're living in critical times. We need critical answers. So we need to go to the foundations. And if we miss those, we're playing with fiddly-diddly trivialities. And that's not good enough. So we need to return to, to, to something of quality. Or we're going to have nothing to say to, the, to a world that's disappearing. And not, not only that, but uh, um, the Lord showed us quite a few years ago, and we probably lost a lot of friends because of it, because they didn't understand it, to, to keep the biblical Sabbath. You know, uh, and uh, how, did, how did we lined, land up with, uh, with, with a Sunday? And then that... Mer being in, involved in history, found out years ago all about uh, um, Const Constantine yeah. and all his followers and everything, and how he changed everything. Because up to, uh, I think it was the fourth century, every believer, whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, celebrated all the biblical feasts. They had never heard of Christmas. That was his invention. You know, now God can redeem Christmas and hold it, but it's not a biblical thing. It's not even the right time of the year that Yeshua was even born. Mm -hmm. so but, how, uh, how is our time? You're all oh, right. We're good. We've we've got um, roughly 15 more minutes as yeah. we normally go for about an hour is the max. Well, we've hit on some topics that would require a whole program just looking at that. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. we're interested... 
Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I'd be interested to um, to hear some of your thoughts on the emerging generation today then. Uh, we, I mean, you've alluded to the world that we're currently living in and the direction it's going. Uh, it's really concerning, um, for especially for um, sort of Bible-believing Christians. Um, so what are some of your thoughts about the world right now, the direction we're going in, and especially for this emerging generation? What would be mm -hmm. some things that you would say to them? Well, um, one of the things is that the there's a word called denigrate. Denigrate is to denigrate something is something to make it less than it actually is. And there is a terrific move towards again assessing our relationship with Hebrew, our relationship with Israel our relationship with being grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel doesn't mean cutting the roots. If you cut the roots of the tree of life, you end up being the sap, mm -hmm. you know, nothing. So there's a whole topic here about, about reassessing our relationship with depth. Now, the more they find out archeologically speaking and the way the Bible checks out a hundred percent, that is thrilling. That's why, Young people now are flocking to Israel in groups. The Christian Embassy, ICEJ, sponsors a thing on a RISE program, and the kids come out of it thrilled with seeing all the things uh, that actually are not made up, but are dug up. And so I think, frankly, I think we need a new orientation to uh, the relationship of the Bible, Old Testament, which really Old Testament is the wrong word. A testament is somebody dead giving somebody living. But this is a this is not an Old Testament. This is a um, uh, a testament of at least a, a covenant, covenant, an old covenant and a formal covenant. And God only speaks through covenants. So we've got something to deal with here that has almost like a renovation of what we've learned. If they only spend one week in Bible colleges on Hebrew, we've been muttering around in Hebrew for 40 years and it's still hard to get at. It's important, it's fundamental to know what to translate. We wouldn't, shouldn't be at the mercy of translators. We should be at the mercy of actually, what do the words say? How many, anyway, I'm I'm preaching to what? No, it's fine. Yeah. We, we need an assessment. And the fact that English, England, has been uh, loving um, uh, crossword puzzles. You've actually got a vocabulary. We've, <laughs> our words are reduced to three words. Incredible, awesome, and like, blows my mind. And like, like, huh? and like, the word like. Oh yeah, like, like this. No, like you know, like you know. Like you know, like, like. Yeah, oh. uh, we had someone on the other day and they were, they said, uh, they joked that they're American and they joked that um, they could barely speak English, let alone any other language. And I said, oh. well, you're American. That's the first problem. It's oh, <laughs> a language. I, I heard these two two Welsh girls speaking in a leather shop. I was standing and I said, oh, I said, you got a lovely accent. Where are you from? I said, we're from Wales. Oh, and uh, how long have you been here? Uh, two years. Well, you haven't lost your accent. No, but we certainly lost our vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Oh, it is true. We, we never mind the speaking. The spelling is yeah, atrocious. No, 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 the else. grammar is awful. The run-on sentences, no, no punctuation. <laughs> oh, oh, I've taken two, two courses, two year, two uh, courses from Chaucer to Eliot, twice now. English uh, review course, and believe me, um, the 18th and 19th century, they could actually speak words. <laughs> I, they're actually. Your is not you are, yeah. and things like that, you know. I mean, I know it's, it's like thrashing around or no, but, but we're, we're facing now a slavery mentality that is disgusting. And we, all due respect to the fraud that we're living under, I don't respect the whole thing at all. It's, a, it's one of the greatest hoaxes of all time. And where we are, ugh. Uh, it's it's like it's like the secretary went to her New York boss and said, you know, a man has swam from um, New York to London and back again. And she, he says, very impressive. But tell me about it if a committee does it. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can't get a committee to swim that way. You need an individual with that kind of guts. Yeah. yeah, we really have to apprise ourselves again with the, the value and the beauty and importance of individual choices and the Europe and the soul that we're given mm-hmm. to engrandize the gifts that have been given by God. You know, an vision statement for our ministry is Sorry. reconnecting the generations and preparing them for such a time as this. Yes, and I wrote a song about that. Did you? Yes, for uh, such uh, a time as this. Our most recent CD is for such a time as this. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to look at... Somebody at the door. Oh, just, okay. just a sec. Go ahead. Merv can talk, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll try to think of something. Yeah. Just a sec. Go ahead. So carry on. Oh. And, okay. And, and the first part is reconnecting the generations. And it seems to me, unless we have a synergy between generations, a passing on um, from one generation to the next, a um, respecting and learning from the previous generation, it seems to me that disconnection opens us up to a whole lot of problems. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And... Um... This Wednesday, I'm going to a meeting, uh, and we're we're developing a new curriculum uh, based on natural observation. You see, we've gone so far away from nature that we really think milk does come in cartons, not cows. I mean, we've gone so far. I would say that a good uh, training for the first generation is spend two years on a farm and realizing where life comes from. Yeah. What's that? Eh? Oh, it's the um, <laughs> the pedicurist, dear. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> well, look, we will wind up. We will wind up and let you have your pedicure. We've just been nailed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. I just want to say, look, before you have to go, you missed the pun. I didn't. Well, you got what the about pun. the nails? Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry. Um, I thought we needed to stop and appreciate the puns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two thirds of a letter to you. <laughs> well, 
we love your music in our house. We listen to it on your YouTube. Um, we love hearing it. I love hearing it. And um, we're so grateful for you coming on. So grateful. We love your honesty. We love your history. We love your stories. Um, but I think the thing we enjoy most is your personalities. Sense of humour. We your love, we love a sense of humour. Yeah, and we wish we could just sit and, and hang with you and um, maybe we'll we will. We'll do it again. Let's do it again. We Sounds would love good. to. We would love to. I think you are our most um, humorous, relaxed, informal, natural people that we've had on. And we've had a hundred before you. Woo! All right. Well, well um, we that's... were trying to reform. <laughs> we, might not, we might not have to. Well. You know, the, the miracle of it is that, you know, Merv's 84, I'm 83. And God has held on to our singing voices. No, it's true. And and this is a miracle, Daphne. Yes. It is. Usually with a a singer who's, you know, a professional singer, it starts to go, you know, in the 70s at least. But this is, we're still able to, but we can't do concerts right now because of the COVID thing. Yeah. And we know that other music ministries have gone bankrupt because they didn't know what to do. But we can do it through Zoom. We can do small things. Yeah. We put in the Facebook what we can do. There are there are always ways around. Yes. You know, when you're slapped in the face, you 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 find your way around, you know. You yeah. especially if you have a creative mind. So yeah. before you go, yeah. would you pray? This this yeah. is going out to um about 50 nations and Good. we would love you to pray over the nations of the world and um and then go for your pedicure okay what <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a balanced act <laughs> to leave a prayer for nations and get your nails clipped i mean that's really kind of balanced. there we go all right we'll we'll let you know what happens yeah. <laughs> Lord, we look to you because you created nations and it is an expanded family, even though people think it came from monkeys. We know it doesn't come from monkeys. It comes from you and it's your idea. We bless you for the creativity of mankind and the possibility of the individual rising to the moment and saying, we're going to join up generation to generation in spite of the cutoff. But Lord, we will, we will, we're going to overcome this great hoax of history right now through your power, through your influence, before your strength and before your creativity which we share because the spirit is a creative spirit that created the heavens and the earth and just about the right amount of time it took, six days in Yeshua's name, we share with all the generations that stick with it, it's got more hope than anything else being published today Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Merv, Merla, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a lot of fun. Please, we would love to have you back sometime. Thank you so much. And much love from us in England. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Catch you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.